Hi, this is John, and today on Theocast, we are discussing Christ-centered preaching. What is it and what it is not, and how you have to have an appropriate understanding of the entire Bible before you ever want to try and attempt to preach Christ from all of Scripture, and how we can easily slip into preaching moralism while we're trying to preach Christ from the text. And in our members' podcast, We uh, have a fun conversation around how can you preach Christ and yet sound angry at the same time. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey guys, as a quick reminder, if you'd like to join Theocast and helping other people find rest in Christ, a simple way of doing that is simply by leaving us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also leave reviews on all of our books. They're available at amazon.com. And if you haven't started following us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook yet, That's a great way to take our content and then share it with your friends and family. To learn more about how to support Theocast, simply visit theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Our hosts today are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina, Jimmy Bueller, pastor of Christ Community Church in Wilmer, Minnesota, and I'm John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. It is good to be on the podcast with you gentlemen today. Jimmy Bueller, how are you, my friend? You have the update this week. Uh, we're doing well. Good to see you both. We uh, Yesterday, here in Minnesota, we had our first day that hit. 70 and that is a that is a big big day i mean people were i mean right now even with like all of the the covid19 shelter in place things like that people are getting stir crazy so people are going outside regardless but yesterday people were out in full force so Mm. anyway yeah we're still in the we're not sure where we'll be when this podcast comes out but we are still under the the shelter in place uh, work from home you know, school from home, all of those things. And it's kind of an interesting time. And I know you guys would say this as well. It's an interesting time to be a pastor because I, I personally feel like I walk this like fine line of do I overwhelm my people by trying to reach out too much or do I underwhelm them? So it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to say, to say the least. I'm sure you guys feel the same in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, for sure. I got a I got a text from you yesterday saying that you were gonna, you know, give a gift to all of your church members. And I looked at Judith and I said, Well, there's one benefit of having a small church right there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Sure. You can do that. Pretty easy. <laughs> Pretty easy. Yeah, it's really strange times as a pastor. We're all in uncharted waters. So Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. I just feel mega inefficient. I don't feel like I feel like I work a ton of hours and don't get a lot of obvious stuff done. That's how it feels. Sure. So, yeah, it's a weird time for sure. Well, it just feels like there's a lot of contemplation on decision making. So you've got loan decision making, sure, yeah. live stream decision making, financial, and you just feel like you're just researching constantly. And then you never feel secure yep. about anything because it's not a theological yep. decision. It's like a, it's not even an ethical decision. It's a, is this going to be even helpful or is this a waste of time? It's strategic so it's, it's and wisdom calls and yeah. all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a weird, unusual kind of exhausting. Yeah. So yeah. Exactly so, what it anyways, is. for any pastors that are out there, I had we had one reach out to us last night that heard this on the podcast. But if there's any pastors out there that 
are just kind of drowning. We've got a group of uh, men that would be more than happy to encourage you on, on Facebook if you're there. <clears> and we do, we do a Zoom call once in a while, so to reach out and send us a yeah. message. Great. So, JP, why don't, you, uh, why don't you bring us in, man? What are we talking about today? I just mentioned being exhausted. I, I think we're going to be talking about something today that, that can exhaust people in the church if, if not handled appropriately. Um, we're going to be talking today about Christ-centered preaching. We get a lot of questions and a lot of comments here at Theocast about the gospel itself, and we did a podcast a few weeks ago called Preaching About the Gospel, where we made the observation that many many guys, many preachers will will get up at conferences or even in their own pulpits and and be very fired up about preaching the gospel, but then really don't preach Christ and don't hold Christ out to people. And today we're, we're doing something that's different. It's related, but it's different. There's a, there's a lot of language, not only about the gospel in, in the church today, but there's a lot of language and a lot of writing and a lot of speaking done on Christ-centered preaching. And we want to try to bring some clarity, some light to this conversation and, and talk about what Christ-centered preaching is, talk about what Christ-centered preaching is not. And, and we hope that this conversation not only is, is clarifying for some, but we hope it's really encouraging and helps people diagnose and assess the preaching that maybe they're sitting under or the preaching that they're listening to on their, their podcast feeds or whatever it may be. And I know it's our conviction that, that many guys who will wax eloquent about Christ-centered preaching may not be doing it. And then the, I know guys in our camp, I mean, Theocast being a confessional reformed place um, where we aim to preach the law and the gospel and all those kinds of things. Sometimes the the representation of us is a little bit reductionistic in terms of how we go about trying to preach Jesus. And I think we want to shed some clarity on that too. And so we're going to talk about a number of things today. We're going to try to define some terms for people and and hope Hope this is encouraging and helpful to folks. Yeah, there's a, there's really, we're, this is a hermeneutic when we talk about when you get up and preach a sermon, you open up your Bible, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you leading people to? Uh, the the yeah. phrase expository preaching is often thrown around, and we have, we have some very dominant voices in the world for the last 50 years who have kind of defined expository preaching. The word expository is just a fancy word for explain. That's what it means. It means to explain or exposit the text. And their question is, there's a debate on what is explaining the text. When I was in seminary, I was taught to look at the immediate context. So let's say you're preaching 1 John, verse you know, chapter one, verse one through five, that's your, that's your con, that's what you're preaching, right? Five verses. Well, then you have to look at your immediate context and then you look at the broader context of the book. And then you look at the broader context of the new Testament. And that's about as far as you would get. You, you really wouldn't go any farther than that. And what we're saying is that the Bible in itself is an entire context. It's not just one book or one period of Christianity, but there's an entire, mm-hmm. there's an entire uh, section of scripture. When you grab, as an example, when you grab Lord of the Rings and you read a particular book out of the out of this out of the saga, you understand there's a whole world that functions there. And when you understand the story, you have to understand everything that Tolkien is saying from beginning to end within this world he's created. Well, that I think goes for the same as when it comes to preaching the context of a text. 
And when someone says they preach Christ-centered, mentioning Christ or talking about Christ or giving facts about Christ is not necessarily Christ-centered preaching. So when we say uh, we are preaching Christ from a Reformed perspective, the most important part that has changed this and brought clarity for me is when we talk about the context of a passage, it is the redemptive historic understanding of Scripture. So you have to back out and ask, what is the context of the Bible? What is the Bible about? And if you can answer that question, you'll be able to understand and appropriately preach Christ-centered preaching. So for a little bit, guys, maybe we should take a couple seconds here and talk about when we say redemptive historic, what do we mean? So redemption, meaning that the Bible is about the redemption of creation, really, from the beginning of the fall to revelation, God is not only redeeming sinners, but it was redeeming all things. It's the restoration of all things. Historic meaning that when we interpret scripture, we do it with a lens from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, understanding that the purpose of the Bible is redemption and it unfolds through history. So we follow it in a historic right. fashion. So what what are your guys' yeah, thoughts think, on that? No, I, I think that that's really, that's really helpful, John. I'd, one of the things that's important to keep in mind is whenever we're walking through a, and certainly we want to be careful and very affirming of those who who do try to seek to preach the Bible in its context. Don't that's don't right. hear us say that that is a that is a bad thing. It that's certainly a word, is a it is certainly a good thing when you are reading through a, a rather difficult letter like First Corinthians or um, even Second Corinthians for that matter to to try to understand the original context in which it was written. But what we are saying is, while it is great to understand cultural context, and that brings new meaning and new light, uh, even great to understand linguistic context, and that brings new meaning and new light, ultimately what we are pointing to is the great end of understanding how this particular passage or this particular book or this particular even topic within Scripture Scripture fits within the greater drama of redemption, meaning it, it, it's not that we're we're turning over every rock and we're trying to find, you know, like silly allusions to to the gospel, so to speak, but but rather we are placing the book within the greater context of of how the gospel has been unfolded throughout history. Yeah, the way that I'll frame it in our church often. And I think our people are almost catechized with this at this point. I'll say the Bible is about God's plan of redemption accomplished through Christ. And we preach, we preach, and we understand every passage of scripture in light of that main point. And one way this could be illustrated is imagine that you were reading a, a book about, I don't know, take you know, like Vince Lombardi's Green Bay Packers or something back in the day to make a sports reference. And, and we're reading about this, this great dynasty and all the championships they won and, and everything else. And that's the main point of the book you're reading is about the Green Bay Packers dynasty and maybe Vince Lombardi as a coach and all this stuff. And then within that, that book that you're reading, there might be an anecdote about how a player was meticulous in putting on his uniform or something. And what often happens is we take hold of that one anecdote and we make a big deal about the particularities of how this man put on his uniform and we divorce it completely from the context of 
what the whole thing's about, you know, meaning the, the dynasty of the Green Bay Packers and, and their legendary coach, Vince Lombardi. And, and I think that's, it's, it's an illustration that I'm trying to make of, of what we do with scripture a lot of times is it will kind of zero in on, on an anecdote or a, a particular passage, a story that we see in scripture and we divorce it completely from the context. So it's just like you would look at that person who, read that book about the Green Bay Packers dynasty and then was geeked up about how a guy put his, put his pants on. And, and you're thinking, right. um, well, <laughs> did you like, did, did you not understand what the book was about? Like we would never do yeah. that, you know, or, or a book about like world war two, you know, and then there's some, you know, illustration about a, a soldier putting his uniform on. We would say, well, no, the book is about world war two and we need to understand that, you know, everything that we're going to talk about with respect to this book needs to be understood in light of World War II. And that's all we're saying about the Bible, is that whenever we go to a passage, we want to understand that passage in light of the main point of Scripture, which is God's plan of redemption accomplished through Christ. And one thing, Jimmy, you sort of alluded to this already, man, we're not trying to make silly connections. We're not trying to like read Jesus into every verse of Scripture, because I think sometimes that's what people misunderstand us to mean. When we talk about Christ-centered preaching, it's like we're trying to sure. find Jesus on every page, like the Bible is some sort of Where's Waldo book or something. Like that's not right. at all what we mean. What we're so let me just frame it this way, guys, and I'll throw it back over to you. the The way that I approach sermon preparation every week, I I'm asking a question that I think every preacher. I'm going to go ahead and say this that I think every preacher should ask. That ought to be the main question. So the, the question that I'm not asking, first of all, is where is Jesus in this text? I'm not asking that question. That's, that's right. the wrong way to approach it, in my opinion. Where is Jesus in this text is the wrong question. The right question is where does this text stand in relation to Christ? And, and so when we, when we go to the text, where does this text stand in relation to Christ is the first and most important question that I ask every week when I get ready to prepare a sermon. And so that is, is what we mean by preaching from a redemptive historical perspective with Christ as the, as the center and Christ as the focus. That's right. Well, when you think about the purpose of the Bible, is the purpose of the Bible to get the world to act better? Is the purpose of the Bible to create morality within humanity around the world? Uh, then, then a redemptive historical understanding of Scripture would be, would be a wrong perspective to have. But if you understand yeah. that in Genesis, God sets up the entire story, Genesis 1-1, God creates the world, Genesis 3, the world crashes. And from that moment on, even from John 1, we learn Jesus is in creation. He's the one who created. So it starts with Jesus in creation. Jesus is then promised in Genesis 3:15 to Adam and Eve. And from that moment on, it is how does this promise from God to restore creation to Adam and Eve's the original the original garden how does it how is it going to happen and everything from that moment forward is God proving when he made this promise he can fulfill it no matter how many times Israel's covenant with God fails and no how many times people try and stop I mean <laughs> the promise got all the way down to one person at one point the promised seed what got down to one human being if that one human being died and did not procreate that would have been it promised over god would have been a liar and and so you have this story that is unbelievable highs and lows beauty and just horrific disgusting what humanity does and then 
every single yeah. one of those stories is the fulfillment. And this is why we would say at uh, Theocast, we, we're all confessional. And because we're confessional, we understand that Scripture is redemptive historic, and it is a story of the fulfillment of a covenant, right? The covenant of grace fulfilled as yeah. a covenant of works in, in the garden with Adam and Eve. They failed the covenant of works. God gives us a covenant of grace, promising that he will save us. Jesus comes and fulfills the original covenant of works with Adam uh, that's been further explained. So every sermon is not disconnected from that. You cannot, the moment you emphasize something other than Christ and the work of Christ, Mm. you actually are emphasizing a subset story like Justin just said, something that doesn't matter. Because if the Bible began in Genesis with Jesus, and you know what the book of Revelation is all about, Jesus coming back, right, to restore all things, beginning to end, and the filler in between is this epic of proving to us God's faithful. When you hear a sermon, and that sermon is somehow emphasizing of soldier's uniform as a a great illustration, you should walk away a little disappointed. Like, I'm not sure why, why we're talking about that when the hero of the story, the point of the story is Jesus. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I can, I can hear the alarm bells going off in people's minds and hearts right now as they, as they listen to us. And and JP, I'm just going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate with something that you said. The question that you ask before you prepare any sermon is, you know where does this text stand in relation to Christ and and so i can i can hear people as they are processing that and and as the wheels turn and the gears turn there there can be almost this idea that maybe what they're asking is something like well doesn't that doesn't that kind of undermine the text immediately that as you look at the text you begin you be, you have like this presupposition approach of That's a good question well well, I'm I'm just going to find where this text relates to Christ, and and even if the text doesn't mention Jesus, I'm gonna I'm gonna work as hard as I can to get there. And so, you know, specifically, you know, I've talked about this before, but I'm I'm preaching through First Corinthians, and man, when you are in the middle of First Corinthians, it is a difficult, uh, it's a difficult journey, to say the least. I mean, you are talking about church discipline, sure. you are talking about sexual immorality, you're talking about lawsuits between believers. And so as you approach these really practical topics, maybe I'll throw this back to you guys. As you approach these really practical church life, uh, Christian life, Christian living topics within, let's just say the epistles, how do you take a passage, you know, for example, you know, first Corinthians, you know, five through seven, where within that, within that frame, you know, Paul talks about don't sue believers, you know, settle matters with one another in love. Uh, how how do you take a passage like that and still preach it in relation to Christ? What would what would you guys say? We are excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith versus Faithfulness: A Primer on Rest. And we, the hosts, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. 
And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. You can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. So when I said what I did about where, where does this text stand in relation to Christ, what I mean, I just want to further clarify what I mean. I am, I am not, just to reiterate, trying to find Christ in every single passage, but I am understanding everything that is written in Holy Scripture in light of Christ and his work and his sufficiency and what he has done in the place of his people. It's sort of like that's the, that's the North Star, right? Like that's what's orienting the compass. That's what's giving me my bearings as I look at Scripture. And so then underneath the sufficiency of Christ and his work and his redemptive work for us and, and the fact that he has accomplished our salvation, there are any number of things that we can talk about. So I, I don't know how to answer your question, Jimmy, without going into something that we talk about pretty regularly here on Theocast being the, the uses of the law. And so I, I know a charge. Let me just go ahead and say this. I'm going to anticipate a, another objection that's raised. People will say that if you, if you go about Christ-centered preaching the way that we are talking about it, the way that we are encouraging people to do, then what you're going to end up doing is preaching basically the same sermon every Sunday. You're going to say, yeah, you're you're basically going to end up being a broken record saying something like, okay, well, here is what God requires, right? None of us have done it adequately. Certainly we've not done it perfectly. We all stand condemned, but take heart because Christ has done it for you and trust him. And to say that that is the only thing that we would ever preach is very reductionistic, and I think it's an unfair caricature of of the kind of preaching that the three of us aim to do in our own respective pulpits for sure, because we also will uphold the, the three uses of the law, not just the first use, the first use being to show us our sin and drive us to Christ. We do preach that every Sunday, you know, even to the redeemed, we make it clear, we remind ourselves over and over and over again, that all of us have failed to meet God's law and are therefore in desperate need of Christ. But then we can also talk about what God prescribes in his word in terms of a way of living. And so, Jimmy, like your your question specifically about 1 Corinthians 5 through 7, or there could be any number of other other passages that we could refer to, there's all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of imperatives and exhortations and and the like that we do preach to people underneath Christ and the gospel and the banner of all that, we say, now, here's how we live, because there is, there's the second and third use of the law, where doing these things is going to be good for your life, avoiding these things is also going to be good for your life, and we strive in Christ Jesus to conform our lives to the Word of God, because it's good for us, it's good for our neighbor, and it, it honors the Lord. And so we can say all of those things, but the, the difference, I think, for us and, and many people that that will want to preach imperatives as well is we strive to not impre- preach those imperatives in a threatening way to the saints because in Christ sure. they're no longer condemnatory or threatening. And so yeah. I could happily preach about not suing each other and talk you know at a common sense level about why that's not good and we can do that underneath the banner of Christ and the gospel but the 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 whole tone and tenor of the sermon I would contend is very different if you're sure. preaching in light of Christ. 
Yeah, that's right. I think to answer Jimmy's question and and to maybe connect everything that Justin just said to to law gospel as well. If the if the story of redemption, if the Bible is a story of redemption and it unfolds through history, what is God redeeming people from? Well, it's offense against the law. The original law given to Adam was do not eat of the tree, right? That's the original one. Then Adam falls, and in order for men to see who they are, because now it's part of their nature. Uh, Adam was the only one, Adam and Eve were the only one who went from pure nature to sinful nature and experienced both. We now are born. And so the law, the new law, the Mosaic law, is was given so that we could see our need. So all of Scripture is the unfolding of the law, you see your need, and then the good news of the gospel. Gospel is can't be done, Christ did it for you, believe. That's gospel, right? So if you you when you read scripture, you have to hold those two very tightly together because if I'm sorry, uh, t- uh, far apart because if you don't, you mix them together, you start mixing the story in and the purpose of the story. So to go to your question about 1 Corinthians and in um you know whatever suing each other that in there you have Paul begins with the gospel their foundation and their their security in Christ is always based upon faith this is why he even mm-hmm. says look i don't want to preach nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified that's the foundation of their faith yet we also understand that the human the human body is still underneath the curse so the spirit lives within us, but the body is still broken. So Paul is helping believers who are, have broken bodies learn how to function underneath the spirit. And he's saying, listen, you have to, you have to live in grace and mercy. And these are, these are ways, unfortunately, you guys are messing this up. So if you preach that section of 1 Corinthians, which is you know, don't sue each other, and you don't end that series with hope of grace and gospel, you actually only give people law and no hope. And I, I just don't see how, if you are a preacher of the Bible, that you can disconnect and only preach one section of it disconnected from the rest. If Christ is the point, and Christ is the conclusion, and he's the beginning and the end, and nothing else matters except for your eternity with God, then any instructions that you provide and you disconnect from hope in Christ, then it, I think it's, I think you're not actually preaching. Uh, you're, you're, you've gone from preaching to explaining some historic text to somebody. There's a difference yeah. between explaining historic text and preaching. Yeah. One sure. of the things that I was going to say is, as we think about preaching Christ and preaching Christ from all of Scripture, what's important to remember is that you know, some of the things that we're saying, it, it's not that necessarily the content looks different, but I think one of the things that is very different when you are truly preaching Christ is the tone. It's the tone and tenor of— Couldn't agree more. Yeah, of, of the pulpit. In that, and, and here, here is what I mean, there is a difference to—I mean, just to use the example that we've kind of been playing with for the past couple moments, there is a difference between, between saying, you know, real Christians don't sue one another. So get your act together and, and cut it out. There's a difference between saying that, which certainly th- that, that is uh, on some level true. You know, don't sue your fellow believer, right? As, as we see laid out in First Corinthians. There's a difference between saying that and then saying this. Hey, guys, um, we have been given everything in our good Lord and shepherd, King Jesus. 
And as we think about living life together, there are certainly going to be times of conflict and hardship and difficulty with one another, but we have been given everything in the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, life everlasting. And so as we approach one another as fellow pilgrims living this life, let us keep that in mind. You know, I mean, there's just such a difference in tone as we as we think about preaching Christ. Mm-hmm. That it's not necessarily that we we shirk the, the the imperatives of what we see, particularly in the epistles in the New Testament. But rather, when when we see these things, we understand them within its greater context. We understand it within its greater place. You know, I, I, Michael Horton has given a I, I think a wonderful illustration that if you think of the Christian life, the 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 law is is kind of like a boat with with a giant sail and if you get in that boat you know how it works you know what it does it keeps you afloat but here's the thing with no wind that boat ain't going nowhere and he talks about how the gospel is like the wind in our sails that the gospel moves the boat and i i just think that's a wonderful illustration and so I've even shared that with our church, actually, in preaching on you know, conflict management with, within our church in 1 Corinthians. So I, I think that's just so important to keep in mind that when we preach Christ, the content may look the same as when people are just simply explaining the text, as John has talked about, but the, I think the major difference is the tone and the tenor of the pulpit. Well, I, I think even in preaching— I know we're we're hanging out in First Corinthians right now, and it's fine. I, I think even in preaching a passage like First Corinthians six, you're preaching it in light of First Corinthians one and two. You know where Absolutely. where Paul begins. You know, like with with Christ and Him crucified, and the message of the cross, and all these things, and even where He says in First Corinthians one thirty that Christ has become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's quite clear that that Christ is is sufficient, you know, in what He has done for the Corinthian Christians and for all of us, thereby. And then even in First Corinthians six, Paul immediately after talking about the lawsuit piece, he talks about how when you when you sue your brothers and sisters in the church, you are essentially defrauding, you know, one another. And then he goes on immediately to say, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God?" You know, and he talks about all these various kinds of sins. And it such were you, you know, but you've been washed, right? And you've been sanctified, you've been cleansed, right? You've been redeemed by Christ Jesus. And so he he continually goes back to the gospel and what Christ has done. And even in exposing people's sin, you know, he goes back to the gospel and and will drive people constantly outside of themselves to Christ you know, reminding them of their need for him. And so I do agree with your statement, Jimmy, that a lot of times the content will look similar uh, and the tone and tenor is completely different. And I do think at times we all agree that the content will be presented differently too, because I know consciously for us, we're preaching 1 Corinthians 6 through the lens of 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. And you know, we're preaching it underneath, like through the lens of that whole redemptive historical framework of the Bible. And so we're always going to be holding Christ out and extolling the mercy and power and grace of Christ to people, even as we talk about, hey guys, here's how the redeemed live with one another. We don't sue each other. It, 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 does, it doesn't do good things for us. It's bad for our neighbor. It, it makes the faith kind of look ridiculous, and, and we look just like the world, whatever it may be. And we can say those things, uh, and, 
And then there is a tone and a tenor, and I'll even use the word tincture, right? It's an old word where everything that we preach and say is kind of tinted and flavored with the grace and mercy of God in Christ. Yeah, I think I think we there's a member in my church, and I'm stealing this from him, and I think he says it really well. That he said, if if you were to summarize the Bible in one verse, he says it's Psalm three eight: salvation belongs to the Lord. Full stop. Mm. And so, I mean, that is kind of the lens through which we mm-hmm. at Christ Community Church, we preach that salvation belongs to the Lord, that even when we preach these imperatives, that they in no way change the indicatives of what God has done for us in Jesus. And what I mean by that is even when we preach things to do, ways to live, uh, dare I even say ways to behave properly as a Christian, they are done with the greater context of salvation belongs to the Lord, that mm-hmm. these in no way merit any yeah. sort of favor, these in no way merit any sort of righteousness before God, because all of that has been given to you in Christ and Christ alone. Now, in light of that, in light of the wind and that and those sails, let us love and serve one another. Let us pursue one another with grace. Uh, let us uh, live a life towards holiness, not not because it it gives us anything in terms of merit and righteousness or standing, but rather because man, those things have been freely given to us in the gospel. What, what God has demanded of us in the law, he's given us freely in Christ. And therefore, in light of this, this is how we, this is how we go on living you know, the, the pilgrim Christian life. I would say if you look at, I've made this observation in the past, but to add to Jimmy, I would say if you look at Scripture, when we say redemptive historic, the majority of the Bible, and, and you, know, you can try and pick the, the percentage on this, but the majority of the Bible is narrative. It's not instruction. Mm-hmm. So you have story of what God's doing and how men cannot live up to the expectation or the commands of God. That That is, I would say it would be fair to say that 5% of the Bible is instruction that applies to the believer. You have the, you have the law that's reinstituted in the third use of the law in the New Testament, not the ceremonial law, but the moral law. And then you have even in the epistles. So if you read Ephesians, you don't get the instructions till chapter four. And same thing with Colossians, same thing with First Corinthians. I mean, the, 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 what begins is either gospel or narrative. So you have a very small section of scripture that is instruction. Yet when it comes down to Christ-centered preaching, it seems like we preach instruction. That's what we preach. When the Bible, if you're just going to take it at face value based upon the, the, the weight of what is, is used there, it is a story to prove to you that you should not trust yourself and that God is 100% trustworthy, even though you may not fully understand. You know, I wrote an article recently called Where is God in, in, in COVID-19? And in there, I say there's no way to solve the problem of evil. We don't know why God chooses to save some and not all. We don't know all those things. But the one thing we do know is he's good. He's proven that he's good. And he's never fell on his promise. That is the point of the Bible. One thing that's helpful in this conversation is understanding that the Bible is full of of what we would call, uh, theologically speaking, typology, where there are things that occur earlier on in the story of redemption that are shadows and pointers to things that are coming later that are ultimate. And so we see a number of things transpire throughout redemptive history that are that are pointing us and driving us toward the Christ, the Messiah who is to come, 
who is going to accomplish all of the things that these shadows and pointers have been indicating. And and one way that that we could even talk about this, I'm my mind's going like a thousand miles an hour right now because I, I just heard your comment, John, on the Bible being mostly narrative. Well, let, let me just like a little exercise and even like redemptive historical Christ-centered thinking or about a bibl- text. Biblical you know, theology, yeah. Biblical theology and then even thinking about types and anti-types, right? So the type and then the one that's coming that's ultimate. So think about one of the most famous stories in the scripture, and it's David and Goliath, right? There's, there's no imperative given in that entire story. It's a it's a remarkable <laughs> it's a remarkable account Are you sure about right that? where we well okay the for the point of for the point of what we're we're doing right now there's not no, a, there's I'm just not joking. a bunch of I'm just saying there's more imperatives that come out of that passage of the Old Testament than any other passage no brother I, been given. Yeah. no I know I mean so the, the irony is we we read the story of David and Goliath and. And the way that it's often presented is, you know, here are the ways that you can do this, that, or the other and slay the giants in your life and, and all of that. And, and uh, the story is this. I mean, we have this great enemy of God's people, you know, this giant, this conqueror, the head of the armies of the enemies of God and, and all this. And we have this young shepherd boy, you know, who goes out to the front lines. He's only there because he's bringing his older brothers some food. You know, nobody will go and fight the giant, the champion of the enemy. And he's like, well, shoot, man, this, this guy's defiling the armies of the living God. I'll go fight him. And we have this insane account where literally God's plan of redemption is hanging in the balance, like a young shepherd boy with some rocks. And the rock is thrown and it hits a giant guy in the head. And then the shepherd boy goes and cuts the head off of the enemy, you know, that champion of the enemy of God's people. And we say, praise God, like his plan endures and, and redemption can happen and everything else. And we, we look at that account and we say, hey, guys, here's some stuff that we can do. You know, here's some stuff that we can go about doing and, and slaying giants in our lives rather than saying, man, there's one coming greater than David who will sit on the throne of David forever, who's going to cut the head off of the serpent named Satan. And he's going to, he's going to be our, our champion and our redeemer and our savior forever. Like that's the point of, of that text. It's, it's David's life is there because Christ is coming and Christ is the greater David rather than us looking at it and saying, well, if we have faith like David and if we go out there with our slings and if we do this and that and the other, we'll, we'll slay the giants in our lives, the giants of anxiety and fear and, and whatever. And we'll, we'll have purpose and it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dare, dare to be, dare to be a David or dare to be a Daniel, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, I'm going to say something and I'll see what you guys think. I think that it (laughs) takes a lot more work. It takes a lot more work to moralize scripture than to preach Christ from scripture. That that's my bold claim of the day. I think it takes so much more work and energy to throw morals where they don't exist onto the framework of a redemptive historical understanding of the Bible than it takes to actually preach Christ from the text. Uh, Case in point, you look at the Psalms. The Psalms, in so many regards, 
are these difficult, hard words, you know, as Chad Bird likes to say, hurled at the heavens, thrown at God saying, where are you? What are you doing? And it is so easy for us to look at the Psalms and moralize them and say, well, here's what you know, we should be and here's what we should do. When in so many regards, particularly the Psalms of Lament, we just look at the Psalms of Lament and we say, it's okay for us to lament. God's people have lamented throughout history. Uh, and and even, even as we think about you know, different things within the Gospels, it, we will look at the, the miracles of Jesus or the, the works of Christ within the Gospels and, and, and we try to moralize those. And it's like, literally, he's right there. He's right there. All you have to do is just turn the light on and let people right. see how glorious Jesus is. You don't even have to do yeah. much. You don't even have to do much. That, like, he's, he's shining. And instead, you want to find your place in somewhere else. You know, you want to find your place, you know, in some, in some moral within the greater narrative, which to me is just so difficult. I think it just takes a lot more work, but that's just me. Jimmy, I think it's a, a great observation. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I actually feel I've been both preachers. I've been a moral preacher. I've been a legal preacher. And then now I preach Christ. And trying to come up with clever outlines that give people instructions was very hard. And it was hard not to sound like you were preaching the same thing every single week. And so topical ends up becoming easier because you can just pick whatever topic you want to cover. If you're preaching a text and you're trying to, to come up with instructions from the text and each one, it's very hard. But if you are just going to lead people to rest in Christ and you're going to explain the text in its context, to me, it is the best kind of preaching. It is wonderful because all you're doing is just revealing the glory of God in Christ to people each and every week. Uh, but when it comes down to providing morals, uh, and it's not in the text. That it it is hard. It is complicated. I will tell you what is hard for me, and and thankfully my church has transitioned mostly out of this. What's hard for me is that when I do preach this way, I get attacked because people say, "But John, you're not giving me anything to do," and then I get accused of being antinomian and not expository preaching. It's like, "Well, John, you're not expository preaching," because in their mind, expository preaching is read the text now, give me something to do. I think to respond to the idea, is it, is it more work to preach morals, you know, to moralize the Bible? I, I think my answer would be yes and no. I, I think that on the one hand, it is harder work homiletically, where in homiletically meaning like how we actually go to preach and prepare a sermon. And so I do think it's more work to moralize stuff and then fit it into a nice outline and make it, make it hang and, and make it clever and everything else. I think to moralize the Bible though is, is as natural as breathing for us. And I think it's also what we are taught in many church contexts too. So I think we, we tend to go to scripture and immediately turn it into, okay, well, this is clearly about me and what I need to be doing rather than realizing that the whole point of Scripture is about Christ and what He has done for me, and now I live in light of that. And so I, that's why I, maybe how I would answer it is, it, is yeah. it's yes it's and it's, it's no. I mean, John, very quickly to pick up on what you were talking about, the, the way that we're charged with not being expository preachers because we're not giving people imperatives, that, that's a, a really old song, I think, that's, that's sung regularly and it's, it's hurled against us, lobbed against us that, well, there's no moral impetus to your 
to your preaching. You're not giving people any kind of moral imperative ever. And my my response to that initially is, well, why don't you why don't you come to some services and listen to me or listen to John or listen to Jimmy? Uh, why don't you get on our sermon audio podcast feeds? And I think you'll you'll understand pretty quickly that none of us are antinomian. We're we're talking plenty about how we live together in the church. And I go back to I'm not going to say it all again. I go back to the fact that we use the law lawfully. First Timothy one eight. We uphold the law when it's used lawfully, and we we drive people to Christ in our main unashamedly. Like the first, primary, most important main takeaway every Sunday from any sermon that we ever preach should be trust Christ. If it's not, we're wrong. So that will start there. But then after that, sure, there can be a number of other things that people are thinking about. Yeah, I want to, I want to adjust how I'm doing that there because I want to love my neighbor better or, or whatever it may be. And we're all saying that stuff. So to act as though there is no moral imperative ever given when you preach in a Christ-centered fashion, as we're describing, is just flat out not true. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I think we could we could talk, and I think we may be maybe may going here. And I want Jimmy to to tee this up for us about what people understand expository preaching to be, and then why they would even make such an accusation, like you just mentioned, John. Like you're not preaching in an expository fashion because you're not telling me a bunch of stuff to do. And even your tone is confusing to me. Yeah. So one of the things that I have noticed and I see uh, frequently is that there is this, there's this desire, this strange desire that you want to be yelled at when you hear a sermon, that there is this equating of feeling good and feeling like spiritually filled if you also feel beat up at the end of a sermon that if somebody if the preacher has like injudiciously yelled at you for 40 minutes you know and you feel all sorts of beat up and all sorts of bad for how you living or, or how you're living or how your lack of christian living that you you feel and you equate that to uh spirituality and so you know, maybe we we take a couple couple swings at this, but we really tee this up for the members. Is that yeah. maybe we should talk about some like angry preaching <laughs> that? And I <laughs> I have been guilty. I mean, I am glad. You know, I'm grateful for the first church sure. I ever served in. They were beyond gracious. But man, I mean, I remember just like her. The only way to say it is like hurling insult at, insults at God's people, and I lament at the mm-hmm. way that I did that. And 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 the desire behind it, I think, is to kind of wake up nominal Christians. Um, but I mean, I have some thoughts on that. But uh, maybe you guys take some parting shots, and we 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 hurl it over to the members. I'll give a parting shot really quickly, John. You said something earlier in the podcast, and I don't know that I ever commented on it. You you mentioned what is the what the goal of preaching is, and yeah. we were talking to each other before we hit record about this. Like, what do we understand the goal of preaching to be? And um, my short answer to that question, and, and I take my inspiration somewhat from John Calvin in his commentary on First John 5.13, where he basically says, paraphrase, that it's the duty of any godly minister to extol as much as possible the grace and power of Christ, so that we being satisfied in that might not look anywhere else. And so I, I think in those terms, every time I get in the pulpit, that like 
to use the language of Paul in First Corinthians 2, I, I seek to know nothing among you other than Christ and him crucified. I want to herald and extol the mercy, the power, the grace, the sufficiency of Christ. And, and the prayer, of course, is that everybody who's hearing the sound of my voice would trust in Christ alone. And so that, that I think, I, I mean, and other people may frame it in their own words, but I think that, if we're going to talk about Christ-centered preaching, that's the heart behind it. That's the motivation and that's the goal is that everybody would trust and rest in Christ and know the peace that is ours in him. Amen. Yeah, the goal really, if if you're a Reformed confessional, uh, preaching is a means of grace. And so we understand that as we hear God's word given to us, it should increase our Amen. faith. So the goal of preaching is to help people rest in Christ. And, and to so if you were to ask me what the goal of preaching was before I got into seminary, uh, basically, I was a puritanical preacher. The goal was to whip people into shape, man. Get them to stop That's being right. lackadaisical. Get them to start reading their totally Bibles wrong, and praying. Get Come off on, your butt, man. son. <laughs> that was the goal of preaching. So we'll we'll talk more about angry preaching and what is the purpose of uh, of, of of preaching in the members podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, we hope this is encouraging to you. If it has been encouraging, please reach out, let us know, leave us a voicemail. You can find the number on our website, and we would be happy to uh, to to hear from you. Also, to answer your questions, coming down the line, we probably have already announced it by now, but we have a new podcast coming your way called Ask Theocast. It's just another way for us to help answer quick questions that we get uh, from you. They're about two to three minutes long. And if you don't know what a membership is, it's our way of helping fund what we do. It's how we print books. It's how we uh, produce educational classes. And it's how we fund this podcast so more people can hear about the message of resting in Christ. You can learn more about that at our website. For those of you who are members, buckle up. I'm telling you right now, Jimmy, uh, he's about to unleash. So it's good to have you come join us over the Look members out. podcast. <laughs>